it's my lifestyle, it's my lifestyle. <laughs> welcome, welcome to the Grounds Crew, a podcast covering all things baseball. We're brought to you by Baseball Lifestyle. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Grounds Crew. I am Bill Rom. We're without my typical co-host, Josh Gerson, and today we have... Hi, I'm Dennis. <laughs> Dennis Dietz, y'all. Um, so, Dennis... A lot has happened since last episode, so it was imperative that we got this one in, even though Joshua Gerson is out on the run filming around the country for a variety of issues. Uh, Games have finally been canceled. Stuff has actually happened now. Things are real. Um, I have been distraught by both sides of the argument for everyone. Uh, I feel like Immediately after everything got done, every player was out here like, uh, Manfred needs to go. Games are being canceled because of him. It's not because of us. Players just want a fair deal. That's such rhetoric and not real. And everyday fans are like, oh, are they not getting a fair deal? Okay, so let's uncork what happens. Did the owners, Dennis, offer to increase the luxury tax? I believe so. I haven't done much research. So they on it. they they were willing to increase it by somewhere in the ballpark of thirty million dollars. The player or the players wanted it to be faster and more. So they wanted even more high end. What players were willing to sacrifice is when somebody became a free agent and how much the floor got paid. So my problem comes back around to everyone saying, oh, it's billionaires. Billionaires are the problem. The owners are the problem. The owners are the problem. And I'm right again. The players and the Players Association are so afraid to not look like they won a negotiation that they are not negotiating with another party. The last few collective bargaining agreements, players won. The players won. The players won. Now all of a sudden it's, oh, well, we have to win again. Well, that's not that's not bargaining. That's you wanting to suppress somebody else all the time and making things up about why it needs to be. One of the things that we've discussed on this, sh- this show was thrown out by the owners. They said a $100 million player floor, but a $180 million ceiling. Players didn't want to go for that. Nope, can't happen. Not good. Not for us. Not allowed. Okay, why? The reality is, we have teams last year who spent $25 million. You're now talking about those teams having to spend $70 million more. The top teams, call it the Mets in spending, are going to spend $240 million. They would then also pay their tax. Because there is not a cap, there's just a penalty to where you go. The players don't want to do it, and I get it, because if they roll that back, then roll back top salaries. Which again comes back to me that the top of MLB is all anybody is worried about. The future superstar is all anybody's worried about. But the reality is, if more players signed contracts like Wander Franco just did, we wouldn't be having this conversation anyway. I could have 10 guys on my team making $20 million. Right? 
Sounds and then fair. I could go a whole bunch of minimum salary people. I'd have a pretty phenomenal team. And I'd be right there on the cusp of those luxury tax issues. But players didn't want it, didn't even counter it. I would have countered, I would have said, cool, let's go to a $200 million ceiling and an $80 million floor. Guess what, guys? Most, that would pick up all of your bottom feeder teams. That would make the athletics spend more money. That would make a whole slew of the bottom 10 owners be forced to spend money. We would never have what we just had with the Indians. We would never have what we have had with the Baltimore Orioles. All of those teams would be forced to spend. That would mean more money. That would mean competitive balance. My other issue with what the players are going with is the players feel like, oh, we don't want to give up a free market system. We would do not want to limit our ability. Anybody should be able to make any amount of money. On a per-year basis, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Deshaun Watson make more money than anybody except for maybe now a pitcher for the Mets in Max Scherzer. Everybody else makes less money than them. And they're in a capped league where the NFL cap is $208 million. Hard cap. $208 million. And somehow, some way, there's a $45 million player that exists in that league. Let's go to the NBA. Do you know what James Harden's next contract would pay him? What's the max deal at now? Um it had, I would assume it would have to be somewhere in like the 35 to $40 million range. $60 million. Fair enough. <laughs> $60 million. There are multiple $40 million players in the league. I believe one player in the league might be at 53. Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook, who everybody agrees is an okay player, right? But he's not top five in the league, not top ten in the league. Do you have what his salary is? Russell Westbrook AAV right now is uh, forty-one million. Forty-one million dollars. Do you know what the NBA salary cap is? I do. Hundred and twenty-one million dollars. So we have a forty-four million dollar player in a hundred and twenty-one million dollar capped league that has a hundred and forty-seven million dollar luxury tax. And MLB guys will go, yeah, but they only have. 15 guys. NFL has 53 and there's 40 million dollar players and they're dividing 208 million across 53 players. Guys, what are we talking about that we can't have a salary cap? Now, I'm with you. I don't think that there should be a salary cap in any sport. I want there to to be there. But the reality is the reason all the other sports are better is because they can create some type of competitive balance. And it's not just a pay-to-play market system which ends up making the overall game worse. Did everybody like when the New York Yankees were winning every World Series and outspending every single person? Nope. I did. Yankees fans did, right? That's it. Nuts and bolts of it. That was it. What happened with uh what happened this past year with the um the Padres? The Padres have just spent an exorbitant amount of money to try to catch up to the Dodgers. They still didn't. And everybody's like, oh, you see, you don't have to spend a crazy amount of money. Look what San Francisco did. Guys, anomaly, not the rule. You also look at Tampa as like one of those teams that doesn't spend a lot of money and finds ways to win. There's always going to be teams that do that. Do you know why Tampa doesn't spend as much money as other people? They spend more money on their, um, uh, what's the term I'm looking for? Like teaching their young prospects. And developing and guys yeah. and doing stuff. Do you know why they have to do that? 
uh, I'm assuming it has something to do with the fact that they don't make all that much money as a team. Forget just the team. Everybody keeps saying that this is an ownership is is a collection of billionaires, right? Mm-hmm. And we can go with semantics and we could say whatever we want. Stuart Sternberg, who owns the Tampa Bay Rays, is worth $800 million. It's a lot of money. Mike Trout, his contract is for $426 million. Let's put that in a comparison. A comparison. Mike Trout is to Jose Berrios what Trout is to Stuart Sternberg. Let that sink in, guys. Does that man have that much more money than the player who is playing on the team? No. Now, then everybody says, oh, well, the, the Braves this past year made $100 million in profit. $100 million. They should spend. They should lean in. They should go. Guys, they they got all the revenue from being in the playoffs. And they got all the revenue from winning. Winning made them successful. What if they had spent all that money and didn't make the playoffs? A la team like the Mets. They wouldn't have made all that playoff revenue, and they still would have had the same amount of costs. So now we start getting into economics of fixed and variable costs. Fixed costs are costs that will not change over the course of a year. Variable costs are the the things that will change due to the circumstances that happen. Variable costs are always directly in line to I made more money. Fixed costs don't change whether I do well or I do bad. I can spend less in variable cost if I'm winning less. I spend more in variable cost if I'm winning more, making more money. So we're looking at the number one team. Let's say that they made the most money in profit in the whole league as the champion and they made $100 million. Their costs to operate, their costs to operate, were $457 million. Half a billion dollars to keep the lights on, people. Half a billion dollars. So let's assume that the operation of an MLB team at some scale fits into the ballpark of $350 to $500 million. Or more, depending on what city you're in. They're in Atlanta. Not as expensive as being in New York. Not as expensive as being in California. Not like so so let's let's take that into account when we look at that. Not as expensive being in Chicago. And that's what their costs were. So let's say it's anywhere between five hundred, it could be up to six hundred million to operate the team, and down to three hundred and fifty million. So if you have a team that does not win, does not make money, they will lose money. Now a quote came out the Nationals, the Nationals lose money more often than they ever have made money. How do we know this? It's why they had to leave Montreal. They were the Expos. They are now the Nationals. They left because they weren't making money. They got a new stadium. They got all the stuff. They won World Series. They made money when they won, but not a lot. That is why they had to trade Scherzer. They had to trade Turner. That's why they made a big offer to Juan Soto, and he didn't accept it. Colorado Rockies owner, right? Charlie Munford. Worth $700 million. When we're talking about this, let's not forget that Mike Trout is going to own a team one day. Let's not forget that. Because Derek Jeter 
Derek Jeter just gave up his shares, but he owned a team. Alex Rodriguez has tried to buy multiple recently. Alex Rodriguez will own a team. Alex Rodriguez's net worth is probably somewhere close to Stuart Sternberg and Charlie Munford. So let's let's run that back and pull all of that together. All of the other professional sports leagues that are doing better have a salary cap. They also all pay players more than MLB players are making. MLB dudes, you are fighting a battle that I just don't think it's worth it. And you again have thrown away the future. Now they're coming out and they're saying this is about the future. This isn't about, like Scherzer said, this isn't about me. This is about the next generation. That's easy to say when you just got $43 million, man. What are you negotiating for? If that were true, you would put a cap on the league. You would build the floor up. Because what happens if the floor is up? You would take away the service time. Those would have been the battles you guys were willing to commit. Hey, we'll take less money. We'll take less money at the top end. The super, super, superstar will make less. Because you know what happens if there was a cap? Those teams can't spend that much. It would it would pull those salaries down. But you know what it would raise? The bottom. It would build the floor up. It would build the floor up. The, the minimum salary in the MLB, 570K. That player makes 0.13% annually. What Mike Trout makes. Mike Trout's net worth is 3.3% of the richest owner in the league, Stephen Cohen. Billionaire and a guy who's half a billionaire versus an everyday person making 500K. It isn't close, people. You guys don't realize, and, and what's not being in the paper, what's not being out there is this is a battle over ego. And it has barely anything to do with trying to actually get back on the field and play baseball. Because reality is, hey guys, you know what you know what a fair deal is? Would any of these guys still get paid millions and millions and millions of dollars to play a game, Dennis? Yeah. If, if we made the salary cap stay where it is, would it, do, would it change that these guys are making what it is? If it didn't move, it didn't go up. Would all these guys who just got all this money still make money? Yeah, they'd still make plenty of money. So the owners are not making a fair deal. Now, somebody's going to hear this and then be like, you know what, Bill doesn't understand. He doesn't understand what's coming down the pipe and what's changed the revenue tremendously. I do. It's called gambling. I get it, and I know that it's a big point of contention inside of baseball. We've always stayed away from gambling. Pete Rose has been vilified for it, but it's about to happen because every other league is doing it and making gobs of money. So the MLB is ready to do it. They want the CBA to not include that because the owners want to take that money. That's where I agree with you guys. Negotiate a separate deal. If that comes into play, 50-50 split on gambling revenues. Is that fair, Dennis? I, I think so. Done. I just solved the whole issue on that problem. Addendum. If gambling or any new market opportunity presents itself to the MLB or otherwise, it is a 50-50 split on our game of baseball. Done. Next. Oh, well, no, we want 51%. We're the players. We make the game. Guys, the players, the reality is, and, and this is this is sad, but the reality is, if Scherzer is still pitching, the next Hall of Famer is not. Because he's in the minors waiting his chance. We don't know who they're going to be because there's only so many roster spots. 
So every time a guy who's at the top keeps playing, we don't get to see the next generation of superstars. Oh, oh, you're telling me a Hall of Famer needs to retire? No. But I'm saying stop acting like you matter so much more than that young guy who hasn't had his shot yet. How many guys quit the game, fall away, do this, do that because of the manipulations that have been happening? We all agree manipulation of service time is a massive issue. Mm -hmm. It's impacting the quality of play at all levels. That has nothing to do with the top of the market. That has everything to do with the middle and the bottom. And we're surprised that the owners finally figured it out and they've got all the power. And the, and the players are pissed. Guys, you have to concede some stuff. The, the players look like they have not conceded very much of anything that matters. They want everything in their court financially to, to keep the system going the way it's been. And then they're not going to get... Because the reality is, let's make, the, let's make it bigger. Let's make it that the top teams can spend more. It's still only going to be six teams that spend more with no floor. You're still going to have thirty million dollar teams, mm-hmm. and you're going to have, and they're, we're going to run out of space for those big teams to sign anybody, because the Mets, the Mets are already on the precipice. the The Dodgers are already past it. How are any of these teams going to go and give guys big mega deals? They're not. But the bottom team is going to look at that player and be like, hey, "You want to take twenty? No, I'm worth thirty one. I'm worth thirty two. You might be, but we're just not going to spend that because we don't have to. And we're fine with." Keeping our salary as low as we can, getting our cost to 200k a year, bringing in 225. I made 25 million dollars. Rule say don't say I can't do that. Guys, change that. They gave you a floor, and you walked away from a floor for five years. You sit back down at the table in a couple of years. Who does that affect? There would be more money in the game. So that's my soapbox on this big issue. Is I am so tired of every... Because you know what I'm seeing that's happening? Because owners don't do articles, they don't talk, they don't do any of this stuff, Dennis. All of the writers are placating the players. Because who do they have to interview to get a soundbite? Who do they have to interview to catch a story about how a guy's feeling, where he might go? How do they do their hot stove stuff if the players won't talk to them? So all of these articles that are coming out bashing owners, it's because... You have impunity. An owner doesn't care. Oh, and if you know what? If he bans a writer from his press box, oh, he's he's a terrible owner. He's a, a bad guy, bad guy. You ripped me. Oh, well, you know, it was true. No, it wasn't. It was your opinion. And you sided with a group of players. That's fine. Side with the players, but admit it out loud, guys. Admit it out loud. And it's enough because we're, we're, we're pointing fingers at, at bullshit and the reason there isn't a sport happening right now is because everybody thinks it's I win or you lose. And it isn't being in good faith that's a mutual benefit. It's it's a lot of hatred towards both sides from the opposite party. And I, I think it's just going to continue like this because no one seems to really care about the game. I don't, think, I don't think the owners hate the players. Fair enough. I think I, – I, I truly believe that the Players Association just wants everything that they want, and they're, they not, are not willing to give up on these and, things. And that's and that's my point. Like the the players have hatred, yeah, because they're being sold a, a bill of goods on these owners are greedy, and it's like y'all have the biggest salary cap in the entire sport. Right now, you can a team can spend more money on twenty five guys. Then the NFL spends on 53. It's wild. 
<laughs> you guys are the problem. I hate to, but like, that's my comp. How do you justify that? You have, NFL does not have fully guaranteed contracts, right? right. Every, every MLB contract fully guaranteed. You sign for seven years, you could decide to just suck for the rest of your life. You make what you make. They never can cut you. Nobody will trade for you. You get paid to be a bum. Like, guys, your sport has all of that top end. You have the biggest salary. You guys have the most opportunity to move. Take the floor, man. Adjust off of that. Get it that the the bottom teams can't spend no money. Because you know what will happen? Those teams will have to keep guys. They'll have to absorb bad contracts. So this is what I was thinking about yesterday was Robinson Cano is an older aging player, right? Yeah, he's close to 40 at this point, right? Correct. The A team wants to take a year where they kind of reset, reload. Does a 27-year-old want to sign with them for $20 million if they tell them, hey, it's not our time? Possibly. It all depends on the player. Possibly. What could they do instead? Take a 37-year-old player who has no choice off the Mets' hands, hit your salary cap number, pay him, and then what does that do for the Mets? Frees up space for a younger player to make that money. The Mets signed that 27-year-old dude Mm -hmm. for $20 million a year and replace his salary, and guess what? That guy's now on a winner, but you know what the bottom team did? They took took a first-round draft pick to take his contract. What does that sound like? NBA. And the NHL. How often do those sports trade? You take my contract, I will give you future players. It's not even that. It's just also like salary retention. I'm sure the NBA does the same thing the NHL does where there'll be a, a, a middle team that the player goes through. They'll take some of their salary. They get a pick as nope. well. No, you don't do that in you the NBA. You can't trade salary. Uh, the player is attached to their salary. That, that, that's, that even to me with the NHL is like the players get abused. They've got the worst ownership in, in all of humanity. Uh, except yeah. for the Rangers. The Rangers have the best. I was waiting for that one. <laughs> um, again, do they do that? No, they take their money. They spend. They give guys stuff. Like, you can say whatever you want about about so many things. Rangers fans can't complain about their team being cheap. They got a rich owner who spends. That he does. Um, but but separate from that, no, in the, in the NBA, what the NBA does is you will, you'll get a third team to take the big salary if they have salary cap space. Mm-hmm. So let's say that they have a floor. Right, the top of the NBA next year is going to be what we said, 121 million. You might have a team that only has a 90 million dollar uh, collection of guaranteed contracts, so they've got 30 million dollars to spend. But they look at it and they go, "We're not good, right? And we don't plan on being good. We want to get a first overall pick. So my team will trade their first round pick, ends that player." For that team to park that salary for a single year. Now, it's expiring. They only got to do it for one year. So they pay $30 million for a first-round pick, right? Mm. But that other team now gets to the salary cap. They're at $120 million for a single year. They park salary. They they suck. They go get a good player. They now have $30-plus million to spend. They can reload, retool, reset, and go. Isn't that what the Rockets are doing with uh, John Wall right now, where he's kind of just sitting out, making forty-five mil? Correct. But but John Wall actually has a couple of years left. He just doesn't want to play for them, and they want to tank. Gotcha. So they're letting him sit out, not really show up, because they're like, "We're not going to play you anyway. Save your body. Don't get hurt. You're already making forty-five million dollars." Again, John Wall, not a top ten player, making forty-five million dollars, making more money than Max Scherzer, future Hall of Famer. 
in a league where it's $121 million spread across 15 guys, right? So even dollars and cents, that's a lower percentage of available capital per player than the MLB has. MLB guys, what are we doing? What are we talking about? And, and that, like that's really where I just I don't get it. And the rhetoric stuff just is crushing me because I it's it just seems so obvious that it's false. Now, one of the other things that somebody has said is owners shouldn't care about spending money because a guy like Stephen Cohen can take a loss on his taxes. Guys, that's dumb. That's like saying Max Scherzer this year won't have to pay as much in taxes because games were canceled. He should be thankful the league locked him out. Why would I want to make all that money and have to pay taxes? That's just so silly. Yeah. Who wants to make any any money just to avoid a maximum tax of like 40%? Mm. Like, I got to avoid it. I got to take it away. Guys, it's dumb. Anybody trying to tell you that that is at, at large a strategy that these owners are, would be trying to leverage into, that's a problem. Now, the second thing people will say, the Nationals, I think they bought that team for like $450 million. And I believe it's now worth close to $2 billion. And everybody's like, you look at all the value that your team has now. Like, why are you complaining? Guys, you don't understand cash flow. Tell me you don't understand how money works without telling me you don't understand how money works. Is your house worth more than when you bought it 10 years ago? If yes, stop complaining that you didn't get a raise at work. Stop complaining that your property taxes went up. That doesn't matter. The value of your health went up. Like, it, Guys, that, do, that does not relate. Stop trying to act smart with dumb things. And somebody writes about it because somebody goes, hey, I need you to write an article about this. So write it for me, and I'll make sure I scoop you the next time you need it. Got you, got you, got you. And then an article comes out blasting the ownership about something, and a, and a writer does a little bit of research on the economics and the finances, makes it sound clean, and then it goes out. And everybody who just wants to pass over an article goes, that makes complete sense. Owners are trash. But what do the owners do? Are the owners out here telling everybody the players suck? I feel like they're not saying anything at this point. Has Manfred come out and been like, the players continue to reject fair deals constantly, and that and they're ruining the game? Nope. But how many players attack Manfred? Every all, Every all damn of one of them. So y'all sit there and you attack Manfred, and all he does is take it. With a smile on his face. So, listen, I, I get it. I, I understand that this is way more complex. I also understand that the owners have been manipulating things. I get all of that. But there has to be a trade. And we have if we have a league where we increase the floor... You'll have ownership changes. Because an owner who is who needs to have a $30 million season can't do it. So what happens when Charlie Munford, who everybody in Colorado is like sucks as an owner, he he's letting all their superstars walk away all the time because he can't afford to sign them. Right? Can't afford to sign them. When he realizes he has to spend $90 million every single year, right? And can never go below it. He'll sell the team because he can't hide a $70 million, $60 million team a couple of years, restack his personal cash reserves, make a run on a couple of things, hope to win, right? Can't do it, guys. Got to always be at least a little in the hand. You ever play poker, Dennis? Uh, too much, yeah. Cool. How often do you fold when you're the big blind? 
Not often. Why? I, I don't want to lose. Because you already have like a I'm minimum gonna, investment yeah. on the on the table. Guys, the reason why big and small blinds exist is to force people into hands. So you can't just sit back and wait till you have a banger. You have to be put into a situation. So we create somewhat of a floor that forces everybody into the game. Game theory. But we're refusing this. Over a top. Now, what would that math be? We talked about it. Can we pull up the salaries from last year's teams, Dennis? Yep. Because, like, for me, when, we, when we're looking what the players have going on, we're looking at the whole situation. Like, I am now a Mets fan. Yeah, I want my $13 billion guy to go and flex his muscles. He wants to spend a billion dollars a year on this team? Go to town. If they make $600 million and he wants to spend $700 million, go to town. Right? Like, I am all in. I'm all here for it. Mazel tov. Get it. But I also recognize I have an owner with $13 billion who actually might potentially now be worth $18 billion, and that's just what we know about. His appreciation on his artwork isn't even counted, and his art collection is worth over a billion dollars just in his home in Connecticut. Hit me with the bottom the bottom guys. Let's go till we hit 10, 100 million. Okay. So, starting for last year's payroll, Baltimore Orioles were last with 42 million. One team. The Cleveland uh, formerly known as Indians were at 50.5 uh 50.6 million. Okay. And that actually was fake because they had like m- m- holdover money things and a whole bunch of other stuff. The Pittsburgh Pirates were at 54 million. Okay, keep going. The Mi- Miami Marlins 58 million. Keep going. Tampa Bay Rays, $70 million. Keep going. Seattle Mariners, $83 million. Keep going. Detroit Tigers, $86 million. Keep going. Oakland Athletics, $90 million. Keep going. Arizona Diamondbacks, 91 And the Kansas City Royals were also 91 And then we hit 100 Nope. Uh, Texas Rangers were $95 million. Uh-huh. And then Milwaukee Brewers were 99 Okay. Who was after that? Uh, $116 million, the Colorado Rockies. Okay, so Colorado Rockies is where we got to 116 million. And I would tell you that I would suspect that they'll be below that once they have some guys disappear off of their books mm-hmm. who are leaving as free agents. Guys, that means 12 teams were under the $100 million mark that the owners put out there. And of those teams, seven of them were $30 million plus away. Like, so we're talking that you had five teams that were at 50. So you're talking that they're they're putting $250 million into the guaranteed player pool just in those five teams. Just in those five teams, there's a quarter of a billion dollars being put into the market. And instead, we want the luxury tax to go up, which would only make how many teams were in the luxury tax last year? Uh, luxury tax was what, 210? Uh, 210 or 215? The Dodgers were 266, the Yankees and the Mets were uh, over 200 but under 210. So So only one team was in the luxury tax. Mm -hmm. So y'all want the luxury tax to go up. And it would have only done that one team, one team, wouldn't even have spent more money. They just wouldn't have gotten the luxury tax. So yes, maybe, maybe. The Yankees and the and the Mets, who were teeter tottering on the edge, those two teams would have spent twenty million dollars more each. Guys, that's forty million dollars versus two hundred and fifty million dollars just in the five teams I talked about at the bottom. How is that math not being presented at a table to you? How is that math going unheard? 
God almighty. And again, like if we rolled it back to 90 million and then we brought it though 180 and we get, we sell, say to them, Hey, listen, we still want to maintain 200 because we don't want to drop much lower. 200 is the salary cap. And then after that, this is the luxury tax. We don't want that. Cool. Hey, owners, you proposed war as an assessment and we all agree on a player pool of cash. We are good with that for now because it's better than what was there. It's good because it's better. It was a progression forward, guys. Take the progression forward. But the owners just literally... Now, guys will say, right, by putting in a floor and taking away the ceiling, you're limiting the high end of what a guy has. Now we're have we're in a capped league. Like, we're inherent... Guys, you're already in a cap. There's already a cap. You can see it. One team passed your imaginary cap. Non-capped. One team acted non-capped. 29 acted like they were capped. No one acted like there was a floor. It just, to me, like, oh. In a five-year window, there would be $1.25 billion more in player pockets by bringing the floor up to $100 million. And you guys, how many teams were past $180 million last year? Um, the Los Angeles Angels were at 180 million, and then uh, six teams above them. So 17 only fold. six teams, guys. We're talking 12 teams would have to come up. Six teams would have to make a choice if they're going to be in the luxury tax. Mm-hmm. And I would tell you right now, the Dodgers and the and the Mets don't cur. So you're talking four teams would have to start thinking about how to come down. Now, the reality is there would also most likely have to be a grace period on the luxury tax regardless because you'd have to allow teams to grandfather in certain contracts that are on their billing. But, dude, that just, again, I, I don't know what I'm missing here. Dennis, like, do I, does is, is this, am I missing math here? No, nah, I mean, you've brought up a whole bunch of good points. You obviously did your research on this. Um but I think the other thing that no one's really considering, too, is how many other people are being affected by this. If there's no baseball, you have all these workers that work with the teams that are getting absolutely nothing out of it all over a couple million dollars here and there. And, guys, the players don't pay those those guys. And, and the reality is we've also had this conversation. Unless the minor league players decide to strike, MLB owners – could play their minor league guys in their in their stadiums. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that prevents this. So if minor league guys start getting into their normal season and they want to go on, quote unquote, a tour, they could say, "Hey, well, you know what? We have empty uh, we have em- empty MLB fields. We have empty MLB stadiums. Hey guys, we're we're our 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 main team is playing here. You guys can get tickets." Season tickets, it's ticket owners. You guys are free. You guys can come on in. Guess what? That takes care of the concession stand, guys. Mm-hmm. That take. Guess what? There's baseball. We're gonna really quickly come. Oh well, that's a scab. Like you shouldn't. Like the 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 minor league guys can't do that. You guys are crossing the line. You're they playing. They deserve it with how little they make. By bypass all of it, right? Bypass all of it. If you guys aren't negotiating for those future players to get to be free agents sooner, why should they care about you? Oh, well, you know, we're protecting the future and integrity of the game. Guys, 95% of the minor league guys who even make it to the show are going to be minimum salary to slightly above players. They are not going to be the superstars that we're worrying about. 
You could have a team of Jonathan Villars and get and be done for $50 million in the MLB. Guys, what are we talking about? We're talking about the truly elite, the truly great. They are a microscopic portion of what everything is. And guess what? They're future billionaires. So I don't want to hear about future billionaires talking about old men who are already billionaires. Because invest your money well. Mike Trout, do some smart investing. End up like A-Rod. What's A-Rod's net worth right now? Uh, it's around $450 million. When did you look it up? Today? Yeah. Four fifty. Yeah. So we're talking that A Rod is at four hundred and fifty million, and Charlie Morton, who owns the Rockies, at seven hundred million. Guys, what are we talking about? What are we talking about? And A Rod's like out here trying to grow. What's LeBron's net worth? Oh, geez. Let's let's find this out again. So, guys, this this goes back to in a capped sport. LeBron James' net worth is, um, his net worth is estimated at five hundred million. So he's worth more than A Rod, and he's still playing. There's also rumors. I don't know if you heard anything about this, but like they're trying to expand into Vegas and Seattle for the NBA, and LeBron's yep. rumored to be the owner in Vegas. Yep. A current player whose son's about to get drafted in three years is going to own a team. Three years. His brother. His son's drafted next year. Is he? I thought it's three years away. Isn't he a junior in high school? They're going to get rid of the go-to-college rule for his son so that they can make sure that they play together. It's almost like that league knows how to make money. It's almost like that league knows how to make money. Yeah. And, and like, again, my point goes back to, so we have an active current player who makes gobs and gobs and gobs of money every year, is worth half a billion dollars, is going to be a future owner of a team. Michael Jordan already does. In reality, LeBron James is a billionaire. We're just waiting for the cash to stack up to the value. So, like, you have a billionaire player who already exists. That's why he can walk into conversations and get whatever he wants with any owner and anything he, he does because he's an equal. And he already has ownership in a couple teams too, right? Doesn't he have some? Yes, he has, the, he's in the ownership group with the Boston Red Sox. And also Theoretically, the Penguins he, now. he owns the Red Sox. Guys, well, MLB players just routinely, routinely are so caught up with the on the field that you're missing all the other money. I agree you guys should get paid for gambling. Put that in. That's a 50-50 split on gambling in the sport. And then Pete Rose goes in the Hall of Fame. And then Pete Rose goes in the Hall of Fame. That's what you guys should ask for. 50-50 and Pete's in. He's no longer banned. Put him in. God almighty. I just, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. And and, and it's so hard because, listen, we have friends who work in the PA and I and I know the whole side, and I get how how much of a struggle this is. But the players are also now doing so much better off the field, thanks to the people who run the MLB Players Incorporated, and the deals that have been struck in NFTs and playing cards, and licensing and business development in general for what that for what the PI is doing. That is making large steps forward for all of them. And that side of it can be so much bigger. And if that side of it was given more ownership of where they were going with their money, negotiate differently. Gambling should be what's what's the official gambling of the MLB players? Is there one? There's not, but why shouldn't there be? What's the official glove of the MLB players? 
I, off the top of my head, I don't know. There isn't one. But what's the official glove of the MLB? Rawlings. Yep. Who owns Rawlings? The MLB. Yep. Why do the players not have that they own their own glove company? Why do the players not have that they have their thing? If the owners are out here making all that money, is that pooled money? Is that getting shared? Is it not getting shared? Is some of it getting shared, but some of it not getting shared? And that's where I think we start getting into this tricky thing. Players start acting like you guys are, are billionaires. Because all of you combined are worth more than all the owners. You really start to get into the nitty-gritty. I got, I got Mookie, Trout, and Lindor combined are worth over a billion dollars in, in, in player salary. That's better than Tampa's owner. That's better than Charlie Mort, uh, Munford. The Ricketts family that owns the Cubs. Everybody's like, oh, I tweeted out that the Cubs were a team that was a, 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 a light pocket, a poor pockets team last year. If you tell me otherwise, you guys are, you missed the entire point. They traded all of their all-stars. They traded everybody. They still spent $144 million on payroll. But that was what it was at the start of the season. Right. That's not what they ended up doing. Because when you take away what they what they extracted by the end of the year, take Javi's remaining salary off, take uh, Rizzo's remaining salary off, yeah, they take still Chris paid Bryant, some of them, but but they didn't pay the like, yeah from the trade deadline forward. If the trade deadline is at the seventy percent mark of the season, the sixty percent mark of the season, forty percent of the money wasn't on their books, and they traded for prospects. They didn't trade for guys, so they ended up coming in well below that in terms of actual cash spent. Why did they do that? Because the year before, they lost a, a butt ton of money. And the Ricketts family, the entire family that runs, operates, and owns the Cubs. Sons, daughters, children. The whole family combined worth is $2.3 billion. Guys, that's not a single person is worth that. That's a h- entire family. So what if one of the family members doesn't want to spend the money? They don't have the money. And this is, this is where, like, just... It costs a half a billion dollars per year to run this. And I don't think that includes what the minor leagues cost. And, and we're, we're, we're talking about the fact, that, oh, it's not fair. <sighs> I bash my head against my mic. It kills me. And I, I don't... Def- anybody, comment. Tell me below. Tell me in, in, a, in a cut... Tell me in a podcast, hit us up on Instagram, message me, DM me at, am I, at Bill, Bill underscore Rom. Rom. It's on the YouTube if you want to look at the YouTube. Boom, 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 boom. Um, at me. Say whatever you got to say. Tell me where I'm missing something here. Tell me. And you also can look at what Jeter just did where they still spent $60 million last year, but... The team itself is not trying to win. They're not trying to spend well, the money. That's why he Jeter left. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's why Jeter left. So you're going to see some of these players that come in as owners in the future. We've seen with A-Rod already. He's buying teams all over the place. Um, they're going to want to win because that's their legacy at the end of the day, and I think that's going to be good for the sport. But I also look at some of these current players, and I don't picture them wanting to be owners. So I, I, I'm hoping that there's baseball soon, but um, it's, it's just going to – suck for a little bit and listen I, I love I love Jeter stepping away I love it I love him him taking a step back and saying you know what this isn't what I'm here for 
because I, I came in because I wanted to run a team and I wanted to be able to get to the point that we were winning. But the truth is that Jeter only owned 4% of the Marlins. That's a nominal ownership group. Like, you own, own it name. What did you expect you were going to be able to manipulate? And to a big to a big degree, I get it's him showcasing, hey, I'm still a player for the player, which I love. My question is, is Derek Jeter positioning himself to try to take a control interest somewhere in MLB, either with the PA or with MLB proper as commissioner? Part of me still thinks he wants to buy into the Yankees, if at all possible, with the Steinbrenner family obviously not spending as much as what George used to. Maybe he can weasel his way into a minority ownership there, and they'll be like, all right, this is the face of our franchise for how many years at this point. Let him have a little bit more say in what they're doing. Jeter's only two years younger than Tony Clark, who currently runs the MLB Players Association, right? Who's, who's like more renowned who carries more gravitas jeter jeter and that again i i I look at it and i say how many young players what's he doing he just walked away from this like why would you walk away from your shares like why would you walk away what's really like and you made it very like amicable but what's going to be the next step jeter has been very calculating in what he's tried to do i struggle to think he'll ever own part of the yankees because I think it would actually end up tarnishing more of the relationship than anything else. I think he has great memories of being there, but like not like getting into that position and being put in a, a situation where he's now trying to be considered as an equal and them having to be like, well, we still aren't equal, right? I just don't think sits. I think that's what happened in Miami, right? I'm an owner. You're an owner, but we're not equal. And he was like, I want to spend money. I want to go after things. My my goal here was to spend to win titles, and we're not spending. We were in the bottom 12 last year in salary, and I I want to spend, and I want to lean into this, but it doesn't look like that's where we're going. I think the players are – so the players start making money next month, and all of the MLB players start getting paid $15,000 a month in April. Even during the lockout, or this is by the players' association. Okay, they saved up enough money that every player who's a MLB guy will make fifteen thousand dollars per month. Well, that sucks because now they have to pay taxes. Rough. Look at that. Could have just kept taking the losses. Mm. But really, I mean, you look at guys, and guys would say like fifteen thousand dollars doesn't pay my mortgage. That shows you how good everybody was doing. And my thing is, is that there's so much money. MLB makes more money than everybody else. They made $10 billion. Yes, they did it in way more games than the NFL. NFL plays 10% of the games, makes 80% of the revenue, right? They're crushing it on an efficiency rating. But the NFL players, they had a collective bargaining agreement. So many new things came forward. Money for long-term disability, CTE research, where we're going with stuff. The players have been able to get more out of the league, and thus the league makes more money. The players are now on TV more often. They have more opportunities to speak. What are MLB players doing right now? Where are you guys right now? Who's doing shows? Who's doing TV? Who's got stuff to do? Nobody. A couple of the guys that are actually trying to. That's about it. But that's my point. Like It's a fractional component versus the NFL. 
right? We see in the NFL, guys get done. There's like an eight-man team on ESPN. Mm -hmm. Every news, like every opening show for everything. Michael Strahan, Michael Irvin. Nate Burleson. Nate Burleson, Terry Bradshaw. Like everybody gets on a show. Everybody's talking about the game. What happens with MLB? Like six dudes total. Is it because nobody wants to listen? No, people are listening to this podcast. Who the fuck am I? Bill Rahm, nice to first meet you. curse of the day. <laughs> Willie, you got to count them for me. I'm pretty sure that's the first one of the day. Yeah, but that just shows how how often I don't curse. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know, man. And, and like that's that's what's disconcerting to me is just it, it, the as soon as it was over, it's that this didn't have to happen. But here's my thing on the flip side, on the flip. If there was no CBA, would the players have gone on strike? Pro- probably, guys. You guys would have played enough games to get paid, and then you would have striked heading into the pl- into the playoffs so that the owners were the ones then holding the bag and like, damn, we didn't get to the point that we made our money. Because the, the teams don't make money in April. And right? the players don't get paid in um, the playoffs, correct? They get bonuses. They get bonuses. But it's their salaries already paid at that point, so it's hurting the owners more if you play the regular season. They get bonus checks for each game, but no, they get paid well per per game. They get they get a good thing. It's not again, it was it's negotiated in how much they make and what they make, but they're not doing terribly. Um the bigger part is in April, how many people are showing up at stadiums? Not as many. Why? It's cold. It's cold in some cities. And it rains a lot. April showers bring May flowers. We got rainouts. We got all this stuff. Owners don't make their money in April. They have the lightest amount of people sitting in the stands, and they have the same amount of costs that they're going to have at any any other time of the year. So if they wait until May to get popping on what they do, the owners know they make more money. So owners are sitting here chilling like this is great. The players, if they had flipped it, they would have played April, May, June, right? And hey, guess what? All-star break, everything else, strike. They would have went on strike because we don't want to keep playing on this. We need a new deal. We need to start it now. When's the last MLB strike? Full season or just in general? Just the last strike of of MLB. 94, I think. 94, 95, right? Yeah. When's the last MLB lockout? Ooh. We are researching. Because the because they in 1972 they went on strike. They all right. So I have a whole bunch of lists right here. Hit me. Uh, so in 72 there was a strike. Uh, 86 games were canceled. Uh, 73 there was a lockout. No games canceled. 76 there was a lockout. No games canceled. 1980 there was a strike with no games canceled. There's a big stretch here. <laughs> uh, 81 there strike. was. So the the very next year. 713 games were canceled that yep. year. Uh, 85, there was another strike, no so, games. So they, the MLB players went on strike in 80, 81, 85. Yeah. Then the owners locked them out in 1990. Then the players went on strike 94, 95. And now there's a lockout. So to think that the, the the difference between lockout and strike is nothing. It's just the side that decided to do it. It's a work stoppage from one side or the other. 
The players have used it themselves. The players were the last ones to do it. The players struck, and they missed 948 total games. And the playoffs were canceled. And the 1995 season was shortened. So they missed the whole year plus. The whole thing. And what happened? The league was worse for it. We needed steroids to save us. And the Yankee dynasty. And you know why the players didn't have to go on strikes after that? Because the game was dead. You know why the owners didn't have to lock anybody out? The game was dead. They all needed steroids. Then they finally started making some money in the late 2000s and the steroid issue had to get put to bed. We have to kill this before we proceed. Killed it. Move forward. But you know what? Sour grapes kept growing. Sour grapes kept growing. We, we concede on, an, uh, on a CBA, but hey, ever since that strike, when the players went on strike, they came out of that and we gave them everything they wanted. And now here we are. We've figured out how to manipulate the CBA to fit as an ownership group. And they're, they, they're getting ready for it too. And we're mad that they're the ones that locked out. Would it have been the players' fault for not having games if there had been a strike? Uh, people, The general public probably wouldn't have blamed the players as much as they are blaming the owners right now. We, we never blame somebody who's got more, more than us. Yeah. Right? We, we never blame the person with the most. That's not or, true. Or no, we always blame the person with the most. We never blame people who have less. It has to be the person who has all the stuff. They have to be the problem. You know why they have to be the problem? Because it can't be me. It's not me. If I had their money, right, I would never be like that. Sounds good. Why do most people who win the lottery end up bankrupt? Because they don't know what to do with that much money. Every friend in the world comes out of the woodwork, wants money. They're like, yeah, you know what? I am going to help everybody. You know where everybody ends up? Broke. So y'all think like, oh, we know. We know exactly how. You know you don't. You haven't been there. You have no idea. It's a completely different circumstance. And I, I again, I get that this is a, a, a very, very difficult thing for everybody to get done. But I'd be prepared for this to be forever. I also, it, it annoys me in the sense that it took them two months to start meeting together knowing that this was going to happen. See, the owners now, I give them the fault for that. The owners wanted to get to the point where the pressure was where on the, the pressure players. was on the players to get it done. So the players gave an offer, and there wasn't a counter offer for like two months. They were like, "All right, cool." Then there was a, 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 they gave a counter, and then it was a couple weeks. Then we got to the final deadlines. The owners had no rush to make a deal. So that's where I, I get they used the negotiation tactic of, guys, it's going to cost us more money to do spring training in April than you guys would make you guys could do spring training in april get bonuses get all your stuff make money do things we're gonna lose in that moment if y'all then strike because you still would have you would then have the power we would have given it up and you guys strike at that point we have nothing to do we can't we have no control and it would have been back and forth so at this point you got to stay locked out and i i get that they used it i don't agree that they used it if they really 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 wanted to actually have negotiation both ways. They both should have sat down a long, long time ago and hammered this thing out. 
And I'm glad they met and they hammered things out, but they can't now look at this and be like, you know what? F that guy, F that guy, all those deals are off the table. No, it's guys, hey, listen, we got to this point, we got to cancel some games. And the two opening series being canceled, guys, that's for health purposes too. Because the players do need spring training. They need to get their bodies used to the wear and tear that's going to be on it, especially pitchers. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. And, and again, I, 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 there's a lot of teams that lose money operating MLB teams. And there's such a wide chasm between the bottom and the top. I think the biggest thing the league needs is a floor and a set system that a player's years of their career is you only have access to this player for six years, period. If you draft a kid out of high school and you think he's that good, six years. By the time he's 24, he better be up. You draft a kid out of college, 21, six years, 27. It's up. It can't be that you guys have him for forever. And, and I, those are my two big rocks. And it doesn't, it doesn't look like the Players Association wants that. And I think that's what's going to end up having us stuck. Any positives you want to leave the, uh, the listeners with? The big positive I, say, I think I would say to everybody is coming out, I, think, I still think there's going to be a fun, creative aspect of guys getting paid and guys making some money. And I think it will happen. That free agent frenzy that's going to happen as soon as this lockout's over is incredible. It's going to be a fun time. You're going to see billion dollars get spent in like a, a day. Yeah, um, you might see it in 24 hours. Because again, you got guys like Correa who might who might pop off a 340 million dollar deal, and he, him, and 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 three other guys are going to get those big mega deals all at the same time. But my my positive separate from that. It's NFL Combine Week. Means the NFL draft is fast approaching. Which means excitement, baby. Do you uh, like the rumors that Gronkowski is linked to the Buffalo Bills right now? Or no. do you want just Dawson Knox and that's it? Um. So. I feel like Gronk belongs with Bills Mafia. I mean, he's from that area. Yeah. Uh, Bills Mafia doesn't like him. Really? One, because he was a Patriot. Yeah. Two, because he cheap-shotted Tredavious White a couple years ago after Tredavious White uh, picked off a pass uh, that was intended for Gronkowski. Gronkowski got up upset, and he was already out of bounds, and he like just pile-drived uh, Tredavious White for no reason. He, I think he got suspended for a game, and Tredavious White missed the, game with the, or missed the rest of the game with a concussion. Um, so Bill's Mafia looked at that, and they were like, Mm, you were a patriot and you're a scummer. I think we're okay. Uh, could I see it happening? Yes. Uh, the only reason I don't see it happening is I don't think that's the position where Brandon Bean is going to lean in with his cash. Um, the Bills are going to have to restructure people anyway in order to get under the cap with how the cap has been adjusted because of COVID still. Um, so with that being the case, I just don't foresee them spending that kind of money on a guy like Gronk. Unless he's coming in for like a veteran minimum and he wants to have fun, then peace be thy journey. I don't see him there long term. I think Knox is borderline a superstar. He's he's almost there. I'm also now hearing that Buffalo Bills might draft Jeremy Ruckert. So that'd be uh that would be a big move. That's a new that's a new thing. 
I just don't think he's going to be there where fans think he's going to be. I think he goes earlier than scouting services are hearing. Outside of um, what's-his-face with the uh, Falcons last year, what what's the earliest the tight end's really been drafted lately? Vernon Davis went fourth overall. And that's still, like, a long time ago. Yeah. Um, TJ Hawkinson went top ten. That's true. Noah Font. Yeah. Went first round. Um, Tight end's finally getting some love now that the position's uh, changed. Listen, it, I mean, when did the position change is my question to you. Tony Gonzalez era. I All guess right, Antonio so like Gates. My, my point to you is, that, homie, that's a long time ago. That's been yeah. the last 30 years. What you talking about? To- Tony G been in the league for, uh, like, been out of the league and been, again, an analyst yeah. uh, for a very, very long time. He's he 46 years old is Tony Gonzalez right now. The last, the first time <coughs> Tony G played football in the NFL was 1997, right? So we're talking it's been 25 years since Tony Gonzalez was in the league and quote-unquote changed the position. <laughs> um so I, I would I would say to you, I mean, it's been a while. We're we're Rob Gronkowski's career is almost over, and he's maybe considered the best tight end ever. His his career is almost over, yet Travis Kelsey's is not. Somehow, they're the same age. So, Kel, uh, Rob Gronkowski they play two different styles. Gronkowski is more of the Kittle mold, where uh, he's bigger into the blocking versus Kelsey, who's pretty much just lined out in the slot most of his career. Uh, yes, I also would just say that uh, Gronkowski played. A more, a more difficult style from a younger age. If that makes any sense to anybody that exists and is listening. I understand what you're saying. Um, he was being tasked with being a touchdown machine for them right out of the gate. And when you're a, t- when you're a tight end in the red zone and how it, it, it tends to happen – you start getting pile driven by guys. Like you get linebackers cracking you. You have guys hitting you everywhere. the The first time that Kelsey had double digit touchdowns was when he was twenty nine. Kelsey also came into the NFL when he was twenty four, uh, and Gronkowski was in when he was twenty one. Gronkowski started right out of the gate. Uh, he had eleven starts in year one. Um, and Travis Kelsey didn't start a single game as a rookie. That sounds right, though, because that was Gonzalez was still there at that point. But then as soon as he got, like, the reins, 800, 800, 1,100, 1,300, 20, uh, 1,200, 1,400, 1,100. Kelsey's on the cusp. But think about it this way. They both uh, – Kelsey's got 704 receptions for 9,000 yards. Gronkowski has 600 receptions for 9,300 yards. Kelsey's got 50 touchdowns in his career. Gronkowski's got 92. Like, that's why Gronkowski is the guy. Because it's the touchdowns, too. He's always been a touchdown machine. It's not just, you know, at some point. Um, But, yeah, I mean, Kelsey, 24. Didn't start until he was 25. This is why we, like, again, there's so much stuff that's just overblown in all of the sports, and they all have their own problems. The NFL's biggest problem is it's it's hard to find talent 
that's it's hard to give talent an opportunity to shine on Sunday. Because there's so many guys that are all out there doing the same thing. You have the, the Buffalo Bills drafted this kid, Jaquan Johnson, three years ago in like the fourth round. And he was a super stud player. And he's been sitting behind Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde his entire career. And he started a game for the Bills and like graded out like high, like a starter level for that game. Like he was excellent. And then he was back on the bench and he's a special teams player. And how does that player tell another team, I can be your starter with barely any starter experience? Um, so it's very hard for an NFL guy. But once a guy breaks through, it's easier for him to find a job. Mm-hmm. We look back and we say guys like Priest Holmes. Priest Holmes was a backup for a number of years. Then he was given an opportunity and became a superstar. James Robinson, undrafted. James Robinson. superstar overnight. Now, James Robinson, I actually think is super interesting because they cut first-round pick, recent first-round pick Leonard Fournette, who still looks like a good player. And James Robinson took that role and, and went off. Then they draft a guy. He still goes off. Mm. That guy has shown such an excellent. He reminds me of the transcendence that Terrell uh, Davis had. So Terrell Davis, he got drafted in the sixth round. And his claim to fame at the time was in a preseason game on kickoff. He sprinted down the field and completely obliterated somebody. Then he had a couple of handoffs that he took to the house. Fast forward, they're like, you know what? We think this guy can ball. And he balled. Um, and I think James Robinson had some similar shine to that, that he just came out of nowhere and they weren't expecting it. Um, yeah, man, the the NBA's biggest problem is they draft guys young and then they give up on guys too young. And I've said routinely that it takes a guy four to five years to reach their peak in the NBA. If you draft a guy who's 18, 19, it takes him five years. If you draft a guy who's 2021, 20, takes him three to four. You look at a guy like Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell was drafted. He was a little older. He was probably 22, 23, and he was like a full, full senior. Um, and he was able to come in right away and be that guy, but he hasn't gotten any better. He was at his ceiling. Um, so when they have guys like, again, if anybody's a, a, a Knicks fan who follows along, Knicks played last night. R.J. Barrett is 21 years old. Still? Yeah. Jeez. R.J. Barrett was drafted. He was 18. Yeah. Um, and th- that's that's my point, right? So R.J. Barrett, who's three years into the league, is 23. Here's his last three games since he came back from injury. His first game back, he scored 46 points, had nine rebounds, two assists. Then the next game was home against Philadelphia, 76ers with James Harden, all stuff. 24 points, five rebounds, six assists. Last night, 30 points, 6 rebounds, 7 assists. For the season, he's averaging 19 points. But if you pull up his numbers at 21 coming off of an injury, if you pull up his splits for this year, the last two months, well, actually, I guess you could say the last three months, he now, because last night's game was his first game in March. In January, he averaged 21.8 points a game, six rebounds, three assists. In February, he averaged 28.3 points a game, six rebounds, three assists. And that was in six starts. Uh, And then in March, 
He's now averaging 40, uh, 30 points a game, six rebounds, seven assists. So last three months, my man is almost a 25-point-a-game, 25 actually probably closer to 26-game, point-a-game scorer. He's 21. People were ready to be like, oh, he's never going to be a superstar. After his age 20 year, his second year in the league, everybody's just so short-sighted. Um, and he's still, what, five years away from his physical peak of his life? Oh, yeah. I mean, his physical, physical peak in basketball for him should really awaken around probably age 26 and should run from 26 to about 32 with his style and his body. Um, so while his skills will hit a crescendo and his physical, his best ability will be maximized during that window. Um but there's another guy, and, and I know you don't follow basketball to the same degree, DeMar DeRozan. Oh, he's been on fire right now. DeMar DeRozan's stealing every everything that Michael Jordan has ever had. He's mm-hmm. taken everything Michael has ever had. He had a terrible game his last game. He only scored 18 points with seven rebounds. But, like, for this season, he's averaging 28 points a game, five rebounds, five assists. He is tearing the league apart. In his age 32 year... This is his best season of his entire career. Best season of his entire career. And he's won a champ. He, 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 was, he was borderline a champion until they traded for Kawhi. Mm-hmm. That team was always good. Then they got Kawhi. They won. He went to Sacramento. Sacramento was good. He gets traded to Chicago. Chicago is good. Success leaves clue. But my man, guess what year DeMar DeRozan is in? He's 32. I was going to say probably year 10. This is your 13. He's been around. This is your 13. He's only 32. I did. Um, I read something recently that uh, when he was in Toronto and people were like wondering why he wasn't uh, hitting his prime and everything like that. He was doing a lot of traveling on off days. He was going to visit his uh, dad who was sick and constantly traveling, not practicing as much. All of a sudden he gets the ability to just focus on basketball and he's one of the best players in the league right now well so so remember how i said basketball players tend to take four or five years yeah year one 8.6 points a game Mm -hmm. year two 17.2 year three 16.7 year four 18.1 year five 22.7 year year five he he became the scene he has not been under a 20 point per game scorer since his fifth year in the league when he was 24 years old it takes four to five years for a young player in that game to find their run. MLB doesn't let that happen. MLB doesn't let these guys just come up and figure it out at the highest level. They make them stay in the minors. That is my problem. And that's the stuff that needs to change. And that's that's what I hope we get to. But where am I a jerk? Where am I not? Where was I right? Where was I wrong? Let me know in the comments. Let me know. And as always, please like, subscribe, share. Let people know that this is the best podcast you've ever listened to. I appreciate you. My name is Bill Rom. This is Dennis Dietz. Hi. Bye. See you guys later. Baseball lifestyle. It's my lifestyle. <laughs>